Today on Ag News Daily. Well, the tagline is to provide producers with a platform to discuss and share paradigm-challenging practices. Like I told my dad, I don't want to tell this cow that she's a good cow or a bad cow because of the way she looks. I want her to tell me she's a good cow or a bad cow because she got bred. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, joined by Delaney Howe. Delaney, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Mike. We've got an exciting interview coming up later in the podcast with Clay Connery, who hosts the Working Cows podcast for all of you ranchers and farmers out there who raise cattle in particular. And he is joining the Global Ag Network. So I'm really excited to just share Clay's podcasting story. Absolutely. You know, he's a guy who brings a ton of professionalism to podcasting Mm -hmm. and, you know, really brings a ton of diverse interviews and concepts and ideas for raising cattle. I know I found a lot to learn, you know, from his podcast just on my operation. And, you know, I don't even have a very good operation. (laughs) That's true, Mike. You don't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're so mean. No, I'm just agreeing with you. Mm, Yeah, you're so mean. So we're going to get to Clay here in just a bit. But before we do that, Delaney, what kind of headline news is jumping out at you? Well, we have actually some really big news, Mike. Oh, yes, we do. I think. I know what you're talking about. Do you want to say it? Yes. So what I'm talking about is the bailout plan. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're thinking? No, I've got oh. other news. Oh, okay, good. Well, we've got lots of big news, and it sounds like today. So um, we talked a little bit about what that USDA $12 billion payment package could look like, and it really looks as if it's going to be released this week. Um, Friday is what a lot of reporters are are noting. AgriPulse had an interesting article today, however, that sets the preliminary proposed payment rate. So this isn't a for sure thing. This isn't set in stone, but they said that they've learned from a source close to the issue. They wouldn't reveal their sources, but that the preliminary proposed rate for soybeans is going to be set at $1.65 per bushel. And at one cent per bushel for corn farmers. So to put that in a little bit of perspective, they did a little analysis here. So if a farmer with a thousand acres and the USDA average yield of 51.6 bushels per acre for soybeans, you could expect to collect about $85,140. Man. So that's, uh, that's real money. Yeah, it is. I mean, a buck sixty-five a bushel for beans. That is a pretty big figure. It's mm-hmm. a lot larger than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, but only a cent per bushel on corn. But of well, course, that the makes soy- sense. You know, yeah. we, we really didn't see corn get hit as bad. Right. Exactly. Yep. So we don't know for sure that those are the final numbers. That's just what AgriPulse is reporting at this time. The other thing we still don't really know is how that's going to work out with uh, with subsidy or with payment plans because. There's a lot of commodities that are eligible for this $12 billion package, including pork, soybeans, sorghum, wheat, uh, corn. So I, I don't know. We don't have any specifics yet as to like the layout for how that actual reimbursement will work. Like when the checks are going to be cut. And right. That sort of thing. And how and we yeah. know you can sign up September starting September 4th, but we don't know if it's going to take a month after you sign up. Is it going to take 10 months are they I mean I assume it's going to take a while because they're going to go off of 2018 yields yeah my guess would be but if I were laying money on this Delaney I would say it's going to be closer to 10 months than Mm -hmm. to one month right but 
you know, like when we talked to uh, Undersecretary Northey a few weeks ago, you know, he mentioned that the uh, the FSA and the USDA is going to be pretty prepared to start rocking and rolling once the numbers get confirmed. So that's going to be, I think, the big headache is it is the 2018 harvest that you got to finish before you can even, you know, begin to get in the running for the money. Okay, sounds good. Well, what what was your big news, Mike? So I saw a pretty interesting headline this morning, made me do a double take. Reuters reports that Mexico and the United yes. States are getting close to a NAFTA agreement. The headline said it's a mere hours away. Mm-hmm. Yes, I and had that. Then, I had this headline, too. Did you read the story? Uh, I was reading it through Morning Ag Politico, but I'm guessing we're having the same punchline. Which is hours yeah, or maybe days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Actually, we're, the, we're not, it's not quite as good as perhaps the headline led us to believe. Uh, my headline said. is better. Oh, okay. Well, what's yours? So then? my headline says the same thing. However, it says sources close to Agriculture's Politica, which is a newsletter I subscribe to in, in D.C., said that the White House has cleared their schedule for tomorrow morning. Uh, they've got an announcement scheduled that President Trump is expected to be in attendance at. And a lot of people and officials are expecting that to be the announcement of a formal negotiation or a formal um, pact, whatever you want to call it. Has Some been, kind of an agreement. Yes, has been reached between the U.S. and Mexico. All right. Well, that is uh, that's better news than than Reuters had yeah. reported. I just it cracked me up <laughs> that the headline said it's hours away, and then you read the article, it's like yeah, or maybe days. Yeah. Well, so this one does <laughs> a little bit say, of uh, fake news. Yeah, hashtag. it does say that the. The uh, meeting could get the announcement could get rescheduled, but at this time it's in the books mm. for tomorrow. All right. Well, I guess we will wait and see yes. if there is an actual meeting tomorrow and so. if something gets announced. I hope so. Yeah. Well, as long as it's a good deal, I hope so. Yeah. Well, right. So that was the news I had, Delaney. What's what else you got for us? <laughs> well, we've got the uh, crop progress tour going on, and actually, I want to give a quick shout out here to the Dryline Farmer podcast, which is another one that is joining the Global Ag Network. They did a really funny episode today on their podcast, kind of making fun of the crop tour, Pro Farmers Crop Tour. It's all in good no. fun. Yes, it's all in good fun. But Brent uh, wouldn't do that. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I thought it was funny, at least. Um, not very politically correct. So if you get offended easily, I wouldn't recommend listening to it, but, um, just wanted to talk through some of the results that they're seeing on pro farmers crop tour. They've got the Eastern and Western leg. And I know Mike, you're trying to hopefully get tickets or get into tonight's leg going on in Iowa city. So if any listeners can get Mike in, find him on Facebook yeah, or Twitter. You bet. If you've got a spare ticket, find me at Pearson Cattle on Twitter. I never check Facebook, so don't even go there. Or you can email me, Mike, at Ag News Daily. And uh, I would be happy and thrilled and utterly overjoyed to be your guest at the (laughs) Pro Farmer meeting tonight. (laughs) Beer plus one. Yes. Uh, Okay, so let's just talk through some quick uh, results that they've been seeing. It looks like on the eastern leg in Ohio, they... We're seeing corn average about 179.5 bushels per acre. Soybeans were hitting about 1,248 pods per a 3x3 square. In the western leg, they started in South Dakota, yields were about 178 bushels per acre, which I thought was pretty high. And then 1,024 pods per the 3x3 square. Then on day two of the crop tour yesterday, they were in Indiana on the western leg, or on the eastern leg, excuse me. 
Corn yields jumped to 182.3 bushels per acre, and soybeans hit 1,311 pods. And then on the western leg, uh, they were in Nebraska. They pulled about 300 samples of corn with an average of 179 bushels per acre, and soybeans were at 1,299 pods per a 3x3 square. So yields sound pretty in line with what the USDA put out a couple weeks ago in their report. Yes, and I did see an interesting, Karen Braun had reported that uh, yesterday when they were touring Nebraska, I guess yesterday and today, I think they finished their Nebraska mm-hmm. tour, that they are sampling a smaller number of irrigated fields than what Nebraska has. So there was some thought that, you know, maybe the yields in Nebraska might end up being higher oh. than uh, Pro Farmer's final number, but Pro Farmer, when they compute their final, final number, they've got kind of a... Uh, Oh, what do you call it when it's something they own? A, uh, they've got their this own closure. No, their, like a trademark. No, kind of a copyright. Their own. Yeah, I guess secret okay. method for coming oh. up with the yields. What's the word I'm looking Patented. for? Patented. Uh, proprietary. Oh, proprietary. That's what I was thinking. Of. Okay. All right. So, folks, stay tuned. We'll be talking to Ted Seifred tomorrow. We'll get his thoughts on how his experience on the crop tour has gone. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've got some news here from a meeting that uh, DTN's Clay, uh, excuse me, Chris Clayton went to down in Arkansas. And I thought it was an interesting meeting. It was all about high tech theft. Mm. And it, it talked specifically about agriculture and some of the things that we've seen theft happen in agriculture. There were a series of FBI agents that talked about some of the threats that are present for high tech industries. And one of the things that really jumped out at me, this is on DTN's uh, free page. It's a Chris Clayton story. It's up today. He runs down through the list of the recent thefts by China of seed genetics. They talk about the story that happened in Iowa with Mo Haoling, who stole just about 340 pounds of GMO corn seed and sent them back to China. There was the story of Lu Xiaoju Chen and Sun Yi, who are both from China, who had a conspiracy to steal secrets and uh, commit interstate transportation of stolen property. And uh, let's see, what were some of the other ones? There was a plant scientist who stole um, rice samples, GMO rice. And uh, basically there was another one. Well, this was the uh, team from China that came to visit the Midwest. And then as they were flying back, they had seeds in their luggage. So this is the kind of technology theft that China has engaged in and is definitely part of the reason for the the tariffs and the, the trade war that we're having today. Literally in their pockets, though, huh? Or well, I think it was in their luggage. Yep, I That's, think it was in their suitcases. That makes me a little more understanding, is maybe the word I'm looking for, of why they uh, do, like, border or customs control. Absolutely. Because I, I mean, always that's, think, that's well, you know, for. they always ask you, like, oh, have you res- visited any farms recently? Well, you know, we're always told to mark no, even if we have, but I guess <laughs> that makes sense. On this podcast, Delaney confesses to lying. I to didn't say I, I, no, I never said that I did that. Oh, okay. Just, I'm just spinning You're part of a conspiracy to... to lie. Sure. We'll go with that. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So, yeah. So, folks, check that out. Chris Clayton's most recent article talking about uh, FBI. Mm. And the title, the headline is FBI trade secrets or ag trade secrets at risk. FBI agent points to the need for protecting intellectual property from theft. So check it out.
Okay. Well, Mike, the only other piece of news I have here as we uh, continue talking about Farm Bill discussions, the uh, Farm Bill Conference Committee meetings will be starting on September 5th, so right after Labor Day, that long weekend there. Going to be kicking it into full gear here to see if we can get, um, I guess, you know, one one sole farm bill version. Um, I don't know if we've updated everybody on the snap work requirements in a little while, but the house's Have version. Well, I'm not sure because I don't. I I know for so long there we were following it and it, they had changed so much, but the house's current version would say that workers are eligible. Excuse me would say that work-eligible recipients have to prove that they've worked 20 hours per week to participate in the SNAP program. So that's the biz- biggest discrepancy still, to my knowledge. Okay. All right. And well, it, yeah, and I guess expires, we'll see what happens. Yeah. And it, it does expire September 30th. So they really don't have very much time. Yeah, they'll just do an extension. Yeah. As usual, I guess. I mean, they'll extend the current one, I'm sure, is what they'll end right. up doing. I just have one other piece of news, and then Delaney, I'm going to let you handle the markets for today. Sounds good. My final piece of news is a throwback to yesterday's story about South Africa putting tariffs on all of its imported chicken from the United States. Naturally, this has upset American poultry producers, and James Sumner, the president of the USA Poultry and Egg Export Council, said today that, quote, we will certainly be encouraging our government to take appropriate action, meaning additional tariffs on products coming out of South Africa. Um, basically, it's a small market. There is currently $2 billion worth of South African exports that are imported tariff-free into the U.S., and so those would be the products that could get additional tariffs slapped on top of them. Mm-hmm. We don't have any insight as to what those tariffs right. might be put on. But we do know that tomorrow is the day when the next round of $16 billion worth of tariffs go into effect. That's right. Yes. So it looks yeah, like, second I guess that's, and tomorrow is also, or is today the meeting with China? Uh, it is starting today. Okay. I believe the low level talks are getting underway today, but, uh, I don't, I don't think we'll have anything announced probably today or tomorrow. I imagine if we're going to see any news, it'll come out on Friday. But we could see a little spark in the commodity markets. So Mike, why don't we hop over into that today? Absolutely. Delaney, take us to the markets. All right, Mike. And of course, our markets are sponsored by our partners at the Zaner Group there in Chicago. You know, these are very turbulent times, and we like to partner with people that can give us insight and advice into what's going on in the commodity markets. We encourage you to reach out to the Zaner Group today at 312-277-0050. Well, Mike, it certainly doesn't look like we got a lot of positive news from today's trade meetings with the U.S. and China. Starting in the corn pits, the September corn contract lost seven and a quarter cent to close at 352 and a half, while the December contract lost seven and a half cents to close at 366 and three quarters. The red story continues in the soybean pits. September contract took it on the chin down 16 and three quarters cents to close at 857 and three quarters, while the November contract closed down 16 and a half cents to end the day at 869 and a half. In the wheat pits, the September contract remains unchanged for the day at 527 and a quarter, while the December contract lost a penny to close at 546 and three quarters. Hopping down into the livestock markets, the August live cattle contract down a dollar oh five to close at 10822 and a half, while the October losing a dollar fifty seven and a half to close at 10890. In the feeder kettle pits, the August contract down forty seven and a half cents to close at 14870 
while a September contract cut $1.85 to end the day at $149.15. In the lean hog markets, almost a limit down day for them. Haven't seen a lot of strength for them lately. In the October contract, down $2.62.5 to end at $53.60, while the December contract down $2.22.5 to end the day at $51.67.5. Rounding out the day today, of course, with our Class 3 dairy milk future. The August contract lost a penny to close at $15 even, while the September contract in the green $0.05 to close at $15.75. Now before we get to today's interview with Clay Connery of the Working Cows podcast... Let's hear a quick word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. I've got Phil Long, agronomy specialist for Latham High Tech Seeds, on the line with me today. And Phil, it sounds like a lot of folks have been seeing or possibly seeing some sudden death syndrome. How should they go about identifying if that's in their fields or not? Yeah, sure. There, there's a, this is the perfect time to be seeing it out there. You know, around that R5, R6 time period is when it really starts to show up and. You know, it's got that intervenal chlorosis that comes out and turns into necrosis. Typically, leaves will start to fall off, too. Um, but really, the key diagnoser for it is, is, is pulling a plant and splitting the stem at the lower part of the, the stem. That's really when you can tell the difference if you split it apart and you see discoloration in the outside cortex tissue. That's where you'll be able to tell versus a brown stem rot, which the very center of the pith is going to actually be a brown and skeletalized. So those are the kind of the two key diagnostics between the two and, and not confusing one versus the other. Phil, if, if folks do find those in their fields, is there anything they can do once they find it or is it crops over from there? Yep, a lot of times they'll finish filling out uh, the best they can until the, the crop actually stops growing completely. It is a vascular, they're both vascular diseases, fungal diseases, so it'll eventually kill the plant. Um, there's nothing you can do other than and plan ahead, you know, for next year. And something plant something like our our ironclad soybean lines that have tolerances to those particular, uh, especially sudden death syndrome, those diseases, is your best method going forward. All right, Phil. Thanks again. And folks, if you have any questions about sudden death syndrome or other agronomic questions, you can head to LathamSeeds.com or call 877-GO-LATHAM. Well, folks, for our Wednesday conversation, we are going to be talking to one of the podcasts that is joining the Global Ag Network that we've been talking about for the past week. Today, we are talking to Clay Connery. Clay is from western South Dakota, the town confusingly named Belfouche. He is a cattleman and host of the Working Cows podcast. Clay, thanks for talking to us. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Now, I got to ask you right off the bat, Clay, Working Cows Podcast, why'd you start it? What's the idea behind it? Uh, well, the tagline is to provide producers with a platform to discuss and share paradigm-challenging practices. So we're just looking at different ways of thinking, kind of out-of-the-box methods of uh, everything that goes into raising cows, whether that's uh, stockmanship or uh, economics and finance or uh, managing people, you know, uh, one of the early episodes of the Working Cows podcast, one of my guests said that in his mind and in his experience, the biggest barrier to success in a ranching industry, and I think that goes for farming as well, is the uh, management of people and and making sure that those transitions are in place and different things like that from one generation to the next. 
Absolutely. Clay, let's take a second here and kind of peek behind the Clay Conry curtain. Tell us a little bit about your background and what you do for a living. Obviously, you you are a cattleman and you uh, work cows, but tell us some more of your background. Sure. I have, uh, well, I grew up here in western South Dakota. I was born and raised here in Belfouche and uh, we always had cows around growing up. You know, um, both my parents worked in-town jobs kind of to fund their passion to one day ranch full time and, and they have both since retired in oh, 2006 and 2008, I think. They both retired and or maybe it was later, 2012, my mom retired from teaching and, and now they are ranching full time. And then, uh, I spent some time away from the ranch, um, went to, went to Bible school in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or just west of Milwaukee in Waukesha, Wisconsin. And, uh, then I came back to Belfouche and I've been a pastor for coming up on 12 years in December. And I went back to work at the ranch part time, uh, about a year ago now. And kind of just helping my parents with their their transition uh, phase of of their ranching careers and and different things like that. So been been really enjoying the opportunity to be more involved on a day to day basis with the ranch. And Clay, when you look out at the the cow calf industry, the ranching industry, particularly in the Western Great Plains, what has changed since when you grew up to where you are today as host of the Working Cows podcast? Um, I think that a lot more concern with continuing education uh, seems to be, you know, I, I went to a, a continuing education seminar um, back in December of 2017, and it was a full house, you know. I mean, there was, and there were, you know, I was one of the younger ones there. There were ranchers my dad's age and older, and, you know, just the, the open-mindedness and, and looking at the industry and the changing, the changes that we see and the challenges that we see in the future and seeing that there's going to have to be some changes made to the way we raise cows to meet those different changes and challenges that are coming down the pike. Clay, I've got to ask, why start a podcast about cattle or working cattle i mean you could have started started a podcast about anything i mean you could have you could have done a bible podcast since you are a pastor why decide why did you decide to talk about cows or cattle in particular there was an, a need in the market i guess you know i think that there there are there isn't uh, a lot of interview based podcasts that talk to industry leaders and give them a platform to share some of the ways that they've been doing things in a in a little bit of out of the box way. So, I just saw a need and I decided that I would jump in and try and fill the gap that that existed there and, you know, I've always heard podcasters say you should start a podcast and, and they're just <laughs> talking to their general audience saying you should start a podcast. And I never knew what I would talk about. I felt mm-hmm. like there were plenty of pastors more qualified than me to talk about the the Bible and, and different things like that. And there were a lot of good podcasts that I listened to. And, you know, I just I was sitting in a continuing education class, oddly enough, and uh, the the teacher who's been a guest multiple times uh, actually just this week he was he interviewed me which was a little hmm. different but uh anyways he he said somebody should start a podcast for ranchers and there was a podcast that I listened to every day and I just kind of modeled my podcast after that podcast but rather than focusing on libertarian issues <laughs> I focus on I focus on cows so and focus on how we can more effectively run our cow operations 
And Clay, a lot of your episodes have touched on, well, as you mentioned, vastly different subject. You've talked finance, you've talked uh, grassland management, you've talked, you know, banking, everything. And one of the episodes that, that really jumped out at me because it's an issue that I've dealt with with my own cow herd was the one with, uh, with Kathy Voth from, oh, several weeks ago about training cows to eat weeds. How did you get in touch with Kathy? How do you find your interview subjects? That was a pretty early on uh, one I found on pasture.com and she was the editor and I reached out to her and as is pretty much always the case, it seems, she said, well, there'd be somebody better to talk to about that than me. I get that all the time. I don't know about you guys, but it's always, <laughs> oh, yeah. there's somebody better to talk to than that about me. You should talk to my dad. You should talk to this guy. You should talk to that lady. And so she, she, that was how I got in touch with Paul Youngnich for the bale grazing episode. That was one of the first episodes that I released. And then she came back around and shared one of my, um, one of my episodes about converting, uh, crop ground back to grass. And she, she shared that and said, if you ever want to do an episode or if you ever have episodes that you think would be good for, uh, the audience of onpasture.com let me know. And so I, I said, well, I would like to do an episode with you. And she said, yeah. And I've been talking about training cows to eat weeds and we could talk about that. And so we, <laughs> we sat down and we chatted about training cows to eat weeds. Clay, I think for Mike's benefit, you need to do a podcast on training your cows to stay in their space or in their fence. Yes. We, uh, we got a, Get Jim Garrish back on and talk about some of those high-powered chargers <laughs> that he likes. To <laughs> yes, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot I could learn and a lot I do learn <laughs> listening to the Working Cows podcast. And Clay, when you are out there, you're talking to folks, you're making those connections. You've interviewed people from Canada. Of course, you've interviewed a lot of folks from the Great Plains area. How much of the stuff that you've talked about have you been able, or do you plan on implementing into the family ranch? Yeah, there's a lot of it. You know, I, mean, I think one of the things that we're looking at right now is we're going to keep all of our heifers over this year and uh, try to develop some heifers into the breeding herd. And then if they are, if they fall out of the breeding herd, we're going to sell them as yearlings, you know, and, and kind of let them prove to us. Like I told my dad, I don't want to tell this cow that she's a good cow or a bad cow because of the way she looks. I want her to tell me she's a good cow or a bad cow because she got bred. You know, and that's fertility needs to be the, you know, it drives the bus as, as many people have said on my podcast, fertility drives the bus. And we want to let them prove to us that they're a fertile cow and that they fit our system. And, and then the rest of them, if we develop them at a low enough cost on grass, they're still a profitable animal to sell as yearling. So that's kind of one of the things that we're looking at implementing here this, this year. Clay, let me ask you this. How do you go about picking some of those topics and do you ever take producer suggestions? Like if they have a specific issue that they have questions to, do you ever do some detective work for listeners? Yeah, I, I get emails quite often, uh, people asking for uh, perspective on this or that. And I try to refer them to a local person in their, in their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, like one of them was, how do I convert a some crop ground to grass, some marginal tillable ground back to grass. And so I think that guy was from Wisconsin. So I looked up the, the Wisconsin equivalent of the grassland coalition and I, I put him in touch with them. Um, I have had great, great, uh, lists of guests. 
sent to me by different listeners, and I've been working through those lists uh, little by little as, as I'm able to get people nailed down for interviews and, and get the interviews recorded and different things like that. So I've had a lot of help there, um, which is great because, as you know, doing a podcast, you don't have a lot of time to mm-hmm. s- do the research. So when other people are willing to send you the list, that's really helpful. And clearly, early I guess, on, yeah, yeah oh, early sorry, on, it, it, go, sorry, early on, it was a challenge, you know, yeah. <laughs> you're looking, trying to find who am I going to talk to next, but oh, yeah. I've got, I've got more, more people sent to me than I can, I can seem to get done. So it's been good. That's awesome. Clay, I guess we should also make sure we mention, um, how often does your podcast come out and what day of the week should folks be looking for it? Yeah, we, I try to release a new episode every Monday, try to get it out first thing in the morning on Mondays. Um, there's been a busy, you know, just busy this, this summer. And so that's been my first summer <laughs> mm-hmm. as a podcaster. Yeah. And so I've had some challenges there, but, uh, I've been able to get on average one a week out. Sometimes I release two in one week, but I've been able to get average on average one a week out since I started in November. Now, Clay, I want to take us up to the big picture. You are in the Great Plains. You're working with cattle producers. A lot of our listeners are conventional row crop growers. We've got folks out in the east and the west coasts who have very different ecosystems, very different styles of agriculture. Tell us what is happening in the Great Plains. We hear a lot about the aging of farmers. Mm. What are some of the concerns you hear from listeners or, or folks you talk to about ranching in the Great Plains? Uh, you know, I think that the, the transition is a big one. You know, the aim, same thing, aging of ranchers. I think the average age of a rancher is, is in the early sixties now. And so that is a concern as well. You know, then you've got the, uh, the fake meat or whatever yeah. hashtag you want to throw on that one. <laughs> you know, that seems to be a concern. I did have an episode recently with Cody Creelman, uh, who's a vet up in Alberta, Airdrie, Alberta, Canada, and he went to, a conference on fake meat and he spoke from a cattle veterinarian perspective on the issue and you know he had some i think comforting things to say about it like they're basically at this point capable of producing the equivalent of spam spam mm. or mechanically separated chicken so you know not not terribly a uh, big threat to the ribeye market, but still, you know, something that we got to keep an eye on and I think is going to be a challenge to us and how we raise meat and how we tell the story of where our meat came from and how that animal was raised from birth through slaughter and, and all those things I think are going to be an important, important way that we can deal with those challenges. That's interesting. Yeah, the I guess we follow the fake meat scene, so to speak, quite a bit, and I've never heard it compared to spam before. Yeah, makes sense though. Yeah, that's it what does. they're they're you know ground meat right. spam. Yeah. yeah, Clay, I have I think kind it's of a, a helpful comparison. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it is absolutely. For sure. And that's uh, the kind of thing I think as a cattle producer we need to get that yeah. word out there. You know, right. ASAP. We need to, we you need know, to market spam, that. Don't worry about it. Right. We need to market yeah. that story. Um, Clay, I have kind of a silly question, but can you shed some light for me on why it why folks classify as either farmers or ranchers? Is it just you have to raise livestock to be a rancher? I've never quite understood that division. I think the you know percentage of your of your income probably mm. is is a big part of it. You know, I mean a lot of a lot of ranchers do some raising of crops, mo- mostly forage crops. Um, and, and harvesting of those crops. Although 
I think another transition in the industry that we're seeing is these people are recognizing the fact that I can't justify keeping this tractor, baler, swather, all of that running for the number of weeks that I get to use it and the number of tons of hay I get to put up. And so we see a lot more custom haying coming in. Um, I, I think that, you know, how how long are you owning that cow? Is that cow coming from another place and you're just finishing it out? You know, some of those things are, are the difference between farming and ranching. You know, the the farmers are the ones that are doing the row crops. The farmers are the ones that are uh, the majority of their time is spent tending those those uh, crops, whether those are forage crops or or grain crops. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I appreciate you shedding some light on that for me. Clay, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, and we're very excited to have you be part of the Global Ag Network here when we roll out in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. I think it's a great opportunity for all of us to kind of share the heavy lifting and make that load a little bit lighter and and provide a platform for uh, uh, hopefully more podcasts to come on board and – you know, a rising tide raises all ships, I guess. Well, I am very excited to have Clay on board. Delaney, I'm going to be honest with you. We need to take tips from Clay on how to operate yeah. microphones and stuff. His sound quality is phenomenal. I agree. It really is. Really yeah. So, is. folks, that's the kind of professionalism you'll get there with the Working Cows podcast. If you're a yeah. livestock producer, cattle, hogs, anything, feedlot, cow, calf, whatever – Check it out. Working Cows. Right now you can find them at workingcows.net or on any other, you know, iTunes, Google Play, etc. And before too long, he will be under the Global Ag Network. So be sure to check him out. Definitely worth a listen. And uh, I'm really looking forward to working with him long term, Delaney. I am too, Mike. I am too. We've got a lot of great podcasts coming to the Global Ag Network. So if you haven't already checked us out, find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, Or if you know of a good ag podcast that should be part of the network, part of the community that we're building, or you want to start your own podcast, reach out to us. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter uh, by searching for at Ag News Daily. With that, Mike, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. 